All right, so the Tabors are online too, and I think we got Carol and Dottie, so hello to all you guys. And, uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 6, if you guys want to open your Bibles today. I need to get my Bible out. Oh, you just opened right to it? Yes. Sweet. I should have, uh, I guess I could too if I got my little... My little uh, marker. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah six. <clears throat> when verse one it talks about the children of Benjamin, and we know that uh, Judah and Benjamin are the two southern tribes that usually called by Judah but here he addresses them as Benjamin uh, because I believe Jerusalem was in the tribe of Benjamin um, does that sound right? I don't know, I don't think so. it, or maybe it's enclosed in Judah yeah they're very close um, and it mentions a couple of towns there Koa, famous prophet. From yeah, is that your favorite guy? Favorite guy, Amos. Mr. Carhart. You figured he had bibs or yeah. bib overalls. Well, somebody read verse two for us. I want to talk about that a little bit. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Edward. <laughs> Thank you for not singing it, too. <laughs> you could have done that. <clears throat> well, when it, when it talks about Zion, what, what city is that talking about? Is it Jerusalem? Jerusalem, right. And so that, that's what goes in your blank. And, and I like it that it... So this Zion equals... It is Jerusalem... And so that that's really the the capital of the Jews. It's the primary city. It's where the the temple was. It's where King David. Uh, even to this day, uh, there's a there's a place that's called the City of David in the old part of Jerusalem. There's still uh, the Temple Mount there. There's just not a temple on it right now. And uh, but when you think of Zion, I think what I wanted to uh, and this will take this will take us back to last week. If you remember, there was something I was trying to remember, and I couldn't remember telling you. I, I got to talking about Joppa and Tel Aviv, and uh, what I I wish I could think of this guy's name, but the the point I was going to make was they they really reverence a guy from the late 1800s named Theodore something. It's like Beezer or Theodore somebody. And he kind of he was kind of famous for the Zion movement. Have you ever heard of the Zion movement or Zion? What is that? Zion. Marching to Zion. The others. What was that? What is the Zion movement? Were they the Israel replaced the church? No, no. But I don't think that's right. What it is is uh, it. It's kind of the belief that. All the Israelites need to move back to Israel. Oh, yeah, right. For the kingdom. Yeah. And so kind of late 1800s, 1900s, uh, a lot of Jews just become began migrating back to the promised land. So, so there's a placard there. So there's kind of a little hill right by the old town Joppa, which is right part of Tel Aviv. And they, it's kind of a mound, and it kind of represents kind of a border between uh, old town Joppa and the new Tel Aviv. And right there on this little hill, there's uh, a picture of this Theodore guy. And so they really made a monument to, you know, he helped bring the Jews back to the land. Okay. And so that's that's kind of the Zion movement. But when, but now look look at uh, your New Testament, Galatians four, twenty eight 
26, and we'll come back to this, Galatians 4.26. And here in our New Testament, 4.26 says, But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. So, so when you think of when you think of uh, when I think of Zion, several times it's called the Jerusalem is called the daughter of Zion, and so if you picture Earth here and uh, and Jerusalem is on planet Earth. There's a there's a heavenly Jerusalem is what I want to is what I'm trying to communicate, and so so this Jerusalem down here is the daughter. <clears throat> so that there's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a heaven. So when I see the word Zion, I think of heavenly Jerusalem, and so because uh, you you know when, whenever hey Kevin. You, you know, whenever uh, Moses made the tabernacle, the Bible says that he patterned it after the tabernacle in heaven. And so uh, we're, we're in uh, uh, Jeremiah 6, guys. And in verse 2, it talks about the daughter of Zion. And so um, what I'm saying is that there's a heavenly Jerusalem. And the Bible just said that that it's the mother of us all, and uh, and and it's free, and and it goes on to say uh, in verse twenty-seven, for it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not; break forth and cry, thou that travailest not; for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. And now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And so that's a reference to uh, Sarah and her son Isaac versus Hagar and her son Ishmael. And uh, it, and it really kind of goes back to Jerusalem and and even uh, Babylon. But uh, anyway, Jerusalem uh, below. This is the daughter of Zion, the the earthly Jerusalem. And it's it's the capital. And uh, anyway, that's uh, when I seen that in Jeremiah six. I thought that this is a good time to talk about that right there. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the the, um, the tabernacle. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look at it. <laughs> um, so it's like Jerusalem. Uh, what I, what I was thinking is kind of like. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm-hmm. because of how they all lined up. The three at the north, south, east, and west. Uh, that would be like the eagle, the lamb, and the the. Uh, oh, the cherubim. Yeah. The four. So then, when God was looking down upon, him, He could see His face staring back at Him. Hmm. I heard I suppose. that somewhere. But. That's good. Yeah. So these these things in the heavenly. So when you when you read like Revelation twenty and twenty one, where it talks about you know the the foundations and the the spirits around the throne, and, and so a lot of things about the tabernacle are patterned after the these things in heaven. So that's that's kind of the point. And so uh, did you guys get a handout? Did you? Uh, so that that was your first. There's a map and a handout, Kevin. So back to uh, Jeremiah six. And uh, I gave you a teaching point there that uh, something's chirping. Chirping, yeah. It's springtime. 
So my teaching point there was just that Babylon is contrasted with Zion, one bringing bondage, the other freedom, and that's kind of what we just read there. So we we want to uh, be the children of the free, and there's liberty in in the Lord, and uh, but Babylon brings into bondage and captivity, and that you know that, that that's what I was actually thinking as I studied this this week is how that. You know, we know people in addiction do have, you know, they're in captivity, they're in bondage to uh, substance or, uh, you know, different things. But so what we're we're reading here, you know, people that find themselves, and, and, and Pam, I don't know if it was you that sent out the picture this week of that pretty lady and... You know, years later, she, you know, doing math, she just looks so haggardly and broken down. We've all seen pictures of before and after, maybe. But um, I really feel like what we're seeing with Judah here is kind of like pre-captivity. It's like before they get into bondage, uh, it kind of escalates. Uh, you know, before they just maybe they worship other gods and maybe they start marrying outside of Israel and maybe they start serving other gods and then before you know it you know the tabernacle the doors are closed and the lights go out and it, it just escalates and finally God puts them in captivity and and sin is like that in general but especially with addiction in it it, it kind of escalates and it it grows until it has to be dealt with uh, or or people die you know and so I just see that in Jeremiah that you know God's dealing with them and, and trying to get them back on the path, and uh, but it, it keeps escalating. I think that was just so we're we're kind of seeing people pre captivity right here. This is and so their hearts hardened. They're they're uh, and so so look at verse six of Jeremiah six. And that says, uh, For thus hath the Lord of hosts said, Hew ye down trees and cast a mount against Jerusalem. This is the city to be visited. She is holy oppression in the midst of her. And so he, he's predicting here the siege that, you know, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar kind of had three waves of sieges before he actually you know, took the city and burned the temple and everything. And so, but these these trees were made to build a, a bulwark. So, you know, if, if you wanted to climb over this wall, we'd probably have to stack up some chairs, kind of, right? We could go over the ceiling and we could get there probably with this chairs. And so that's what they would do. They would cut down trees and they would build these ramps or stairs or however they did it. And they'd, they'd put dirt on it. And once you could get over the city wall, then you could take the city. So that that's what's going on here. And so it's... Uh, there, there's a word in verse 7 I want you to see. If somebody read verse 7 for us. As a fountain casts out her waters, so she casts out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is her heard in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Yeah, so just that word grief. Uh, you know, there's a prophecy here in Isaiah 53.3 that he's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. Um, that's what it says he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not and so uh, a lot of time we don't think about God as being personal but here it says that Israel has become a continual grief to him <clears throat> And uh, it just lets you know God is has feelings, and and uh, that's one thing I realized 
you know, when it talks about Christ being our high priest, it says uh, he's not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So he can be touched with the feeling of our, of our infirmities, can't he? And, and it does grieve him when uh, his people uh, stray and... Uh, this one is holy oppression, it says in verse 6. And so, uh, anyway, my teaching point here was how often do we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit? And the word quench goes in your blank. And I, I think I think of a garden hose when I think of quench, where you can, yeah. you know, kind of bend it once or twice and get it to shut off completely. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't need it. Yeah. So I think of quenching like that. So it's like stopping the flow. So you know we, we can limit the Lord. We can we can grieve Him. We can quench the Spirit. And so that that's really the first eight verses that we covered there. <clears throat> And then in, in verse 9, it gives this illustration of a harvest. Uh, somebody read 9 for us, verse 9. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer unto the baskets. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Ed. <clears throat> So, uh, and probably none of us, has anybody ever raised grapes? Did you really? You guys have bees and it's kind of all this eccentric thing, but with uh, wine, strong wine. Oh, he did not. We went to some vineyards in California. It was kind of curious to see that. We just stopped along the road and looked at them, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, it's lovely. I think it's the vine is What was that old stuff? The strong drink that was, uh, really they had like medicine in it, didn't they? I, like opium or something? I know pets said things like that, that they kind of. Strong drink? What, like meat, wine, opium or something like that? Yeah, I think they like golf. All golf. Yeah. Huh. Which is, which is, oh. Huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, there's kind of three phases to the wine gathering there there and the thing that I relate to this I'm really not a gardener but my grandma would like with tomatoes you know some of them would still be green but there'd be some that would be ripe and red and ready so she would she would pick those tomatoes when they were red kind of the first fruits and then there'd be kind of a main harvest where she'd you know come in and get the bulk of the tomatoes off the vines and and I don't know if there's gleanings with that but at least with grapes there is so there's kind of three phases to that and and uh, so usually like I gave you a reference to Ruth there usually there would be like the poor and the widows that would follow the reapers and kind of glean the corners of the fields yeah. yeah the farmers were to leave the corners kind of unharvested so that the gleaners could have some uh, some food and it was actually a law that they do that <clears throat> and so anyway I I think that this is a little bit prophetical because I think the gleanings is, has a, re- a reference really to the remnant that's left of the Jews in the tribulation. So, uh, Three of the raptures. Yeah. Three of the seven. Anyway. Yeah. So I think the harvest was mainly uh, at Christ's first coming. The Old Testament saints were... Uh, first fruits. That, that was first fruits, wasn't yeah. it? That we're the hardest waiting on. Okay. And the gleanings will be at the end of the tribulation. Get saved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is, I think, mainly in reference to the Jews. Um, yeah. Yeah, but but anyway, that that is a little bit prophetical. I, I wasn't 
Uh, but I did want to list those three, and, and I, I do remember my grandma, you know, picking the the tomatoes that were ripe first, and so that's kind of what I think of when I read things like this. But uh, in verse ten, the, the word of the Lord became a reproach to them, and uh, in verse eleven and twelve. Jeremiah became uh, full of fury with what the Lord was full of fury about. <clears throat> In verse 13, we see some false prophets. False prophets, they prophesy a false peace. So even in the midst of this, with Nebuchadnezzar building the bulwarks outside the walls, there's still prophets saying, "Yeah, there's going to be peace," but Jeremiah is like, "Well, you haven't looked outside the wall lately." So so God is going to visit his people. And it says in verse 14 and 15, They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Verse 15, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, but they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them they shall be cast down saith the Lord and uh, and then somebody uh, I mentioned in my notes here that their conscience is seared you know you know all of us have a conscience and the way I have heard it described it kind of clicked with me is I know like on all of our tractors they had a tachometer and uh, most most cars even have a tachometer don't they just zero to four thousand RPMs or something yeah what are you thinking Tom what was the point for the point how often grieve and quench yeah it's a quench like I think that's right. So, uh, so anyway, when I think of a, a tachometer, uh, or I think of a conscience, I think of it kind of like a tachometer, and uh, or, or some kind of meter. It, it's it's kind of like a right and wrong, and and that we talked about our conscience in our our study of the way of the master. And uh, I've got a friend that's listening to those videos of the way of the master, and he's so that's that's kind of cool that our teachings continuing there. But uh, anyway, it's kind of your conscience is kind of like a right and wrong meter, and uh, but it, you know if if we continue to lie and get away with it and and uh, do do wrong and we, if we just kind of continue to do it we kind of get a seared conscience we you know it kind of takes our uh, right and sense of right and wrong away and um, and so that it, it says it says there that they committed these abominable things and you know were they ashamed of doing that no no they they uh, they enjoyed it they didn't even blush it says and uh, God says he's going to visit him for that. And so that, that's kind of how it is in the end times where uh, people's conscience is seared and their right and wrong meter uh, doesn't work right because it's, they've discontinued to do wrong for so long that they kind of lose their true north, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, desensitized. That's a good word. Well, I, I wanted to, uh, in verse 16, somebody read verse 16, because Pat and I talked about this a, a couple months ago. Uh, read verse 16 for us. Thus saith the Lord, stand up in the ways, and see, ask for the old paths. Where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk therein. So these this old paths in good way. Uh, Pat and I talked about this, and um, I th- I think there's kind of a historical. There's kind of three parts to this. 
probably should have put that a little further over. You should have brought your thing. I, I did. I brought it. Did you hand it out? No, I didn't hand it out. I could have. So there, there is some... I think I'll jump to, let's look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Isaiah, Jeremiah. So right before, is it working? Yeah, I'm just carrying it. Oh, saying something. So let, let me give you kind of the punchline on the historical is I really believe that it's a reference to uh, God making a way through the Red Sea. You remember when God divided the, the rivers or the the sea and they got to go through on dry land? He, he made a way where there wasn't a way. And Jeremiah is, is telling his people... Uh, ask, ask for the old paths where is a good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls uh, or it, it could be a reference there, there's a couple references one in Job and one in Psalm it talks about in the wilderness there is no way what verse are you in? so I'm in Isaiah 43:16, and and this is uh, why I reference this. Isaiah forty three sixteen says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are ex- extinct. They are quenched as tow. And then in verse 18, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. So it's almost the exact same wording that God made a way in the Red Sea and this path for them. And Jeremiah is saying, hey guys, let's ask of God if he will give us a good way and this path back. And so uh, then... Uh, Can you read 19 too? Oh, did I, uh, I, I turned already. Can you read it? Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Oh, that's a tie into Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. That is good. Thank you. Yeah. I, I stopped too soon on that one. Oh, you know, in my in my notes, I had verse 19. I just didn't read it. So thank you. Um, so historically I, I believe he's reminding his people that God can you know make a path through waters that without a bridge you know you can yeah yeah now this let me see if I can I don't know if you guys uh, think about it much. But, but like on your handout that you have, at the top of every one of them, I, I put this little image of the wide gate that leads to destruction or the straight gate that leads to eternal life. And I just I like that little image, so we kind of kept putting it on here. But that represents the the two paths in a doctrinal sense. There are two paths or two ways. There's a broad way and a narrow way. And Jesus spoke of this. Uh, he says, "Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat." Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so we want to be on the straight way, the the narrow, the narrow path. 
And so, uh, the, so the, uh, look with me at Proverbs, if you will. This, uh, this says in the Old Testament what Jesus just said in the New Testament. Proverbs 4. Yeah, let's look at Proverbs 4. And 14. Oh man. Yeah, and uh, so that so there's that. Yeah, that's powerful. The next verse I have. Fifteen. Uh, read, read that one. Me? Yeah. Okay. Right. It says, <laughs> I know. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's very clear. Well, and down at verse 18, but the path of the just is as the shining light, which shineth more and more into the perfect day. So there's this path of the wicked and there's the path of the of the just. So these are these two paths that the Lord spoke about. And so uh, in, in a very real way, you know, Jeremiah is encouraging his audience to seek the path of the just and the, the straight and narrow way. But then, uh, so this, this was the narrow sea uh, way. So that's, that's the old paths. And doctrinally, there's two paths. And then, uh, kind of inspirationally, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, this is what I uh, found that Pat and I were talking about. Is you know Jesus says in in John fourteen six that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then, you know, in, in, in Matthew 8, uh, 11, 29, he says to take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And that's, what, that's the exact same words that Jeremiah told his people, ye shall find rest for your souls. So, and, uh, so Jesus is the way, and he gives us rest. So... So that's kind of the conclusion there in Jeremiah 6. If we want to go back there, <laughs> that's good, isn't it, brother? Yeah, no, that's exactly, I feel good because that's what I got out of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, so look, look at Jeremiah 6.16 again. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. So they they refused that. But Jeremiah offered it, and that's that is what we need to offer as well, isn't it? Even if we get rejected. So so yeah, that was my conclusion. Uh, Jesus and all the righteous men of old have went down the old paths. Where is the good way? It, you know, it mentioned the old paths. It's plural. And so, you know, all of us have come from different backgrounds, but it, it says the good way is singular. We, we've kind of come from different paths, but there, we're all on that way. Singular. Uh, just as even though we've all come from different paths, we can con- converge on the good way, Jesus Christ. And when we walk therein, we find rest for our souls, just as did every kindred, tongue, and people and nation that trust Christ to make that way in the wilderness of life. So, amen and amen. Oh, uh, at the end of, yeah, at the bottom of your first page there, uh, Judah would not listen to the watchman. Uh, I think, does it call him watchman there in 17? It does. So, uh, also I said a watchman, or watchmen, plural, over you saying, hearken to the the sound of the trouble. But, But they said, we will not hearken.
<clears throat> and so I gave you a reference there about Watchmen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. That was cool. Yeah, good. And so at the top of your next page or your the back of your page we need to we we need grace to stay on the old path and good way because uh, we're we're prone to wonder aren't we yeah Steve yeah when, uh, <clears throat> uh, and Pat knows this too because he's had the training MRT that uh, when we work with people who have sin addictions uh, mm-hmm. drugs or porn or gambling whatever um, that the moral compass has to be reset hmm. for any healing or change. Hmm. And so that it's a moral recognition, you have to decide, at what point did my conscience get seared? At what point did I think it was okay to uh, take Heal. things that didn't belong to me? And to, So we help them reset their moral... Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, kind of set a pillar there, and so for us, Pat and I, we would be using the Bible to kind of reset that. Hmm. But you talk to people, and they don't even—they don't even realize that they. I think you're right. Their ability to reason and make good decisions is. It's a skewed. flawed, yeah. Flawed. I know you talked about having to kind of rewire. You yeah. told me that one time. That's what, yeah, that's what happens. So you rebuild a, uh, hmm. a recognition of, uh, like you rebuild your ability to make better decisions. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, for us, we base it on truth. That's good. But for unsafe people, it's still, it's very important. So when yeah. we get in a sin, you know, we need to look at our conscience. At what point did I think this was okay? Yeah. What, hmm. Where was I? And you go back to that point and, hmm. and ask God, you know, to forgive that initial hmm. choice, and then it, you know you move forward from there. You start, hmm. you make your new path. I guess we can pray for the clear path, hmm. like they did here for hmm. the Red Sea Way. Hmm. So. That's good, Pam. Yeah, that's. Or we'll just keep going back. That's very thought-provoking. That to think about. Yeah. Because it's so subtle, isn't it? It's so subtle that it it kind of erodes your relationship with the Lord. Kind of gets eroded. There's distractions. I know with me, it's a struggle. Just reading my Bible in the morning. I want to look at my phone first. I want to. Oh, and I got to shoot off this email. And okay, now it's time to go to work. So. Yeah. It, it, you feel like it is. I know. A lot of distractions. Yes. I think one of the old uh, Jim. You probably heard this. I don't know if it was Martin Luther. He said something like, "The devil, the devil will do anything to keep us from from the word, even if it's just to adjust the window shade." Mm-hmm. He yeah. said. He said something. I thought that's for. He must have been distracted to close the blinds one day, and it got him away from the word. It's just those little those little foxes that spoil the vine. Oh, yeah. Well, look at your second page there. Thank you uh, for your comments, everybody. And Jeremiah declares uh, reasons for destruction. And in verses 18 and 19, um, he pronounces this destruction. So let's read 18 and 19 of Jeremiah 6. He says, Therefore, hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. And uh, I gave you, I gave you twelve reasons that I've found in other places for why God bring. Uh, takes them into captivity in Babylon and why Jerusalem is destroyed and some of these kind of overlap but uh, they had false gods, they defiled the sanctuary they had sin and uh, let's all go to uh, my reference there, 2 Kings 21 because he actually lists several things in 2 Kings 21 
Let's see. Yeah, you taught him this one time in, in big church. I did, did I? It was really good. Yeah, I got all the notes in my Bible. Oh, wow. But while you're going to 2 Kings 21, let let me read the rest of these. Number four was transgression. Uh, The fifth one, they forsook God's government. They worshipped and should be served other gods. They had uncleanness and transgressions. They didn't hearken to true prophets. I mean, all, all all of these verses that I gave you here, it says that the Lord took them away because of this. They and uh, their tongue and the doings were against the Lord. They hardened their neck and wouldn't hear God's word, and they shed innocent blood. But let's look at the Second Kings twenty-one and verse ten. And this says, And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all the Amorites that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. (laughs) And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, and I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. And then uh, he said Manasseh shed innocent blood. So that was just kind of a summary of why God is doing this. And uh, Jeremiah is pronouncing it. It happens, I think Manasseh was, you know, six or eight kings prior. So it's a few hundred years earlier. And God says he's going to do it. And then, you know, 200 years later, he does it. And then back at Jeremiah 6, we'll, uh, we've got about 15 minutes here. There's one thing I want us to see here in verse 20 and 21, if somebody would like to read those. Jeremiah 6, 20 and 21. To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba, and sweet came from far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall upon them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. Now, some... uh some religions still do burn incense. I, I know in Hinduism they do. And uh, under Judaism, uh, in, in, in the temple worship, they did that as well. And the priest would get coals from the uh, altar of sacrifice. And they would each morning they would light the altar of incense inside the tabernacle. So they would, they would offer a sacrifice... And then they would take some of the hot coals and they would they would burn incense. And um, the Bible doesn't leave us to question why they did that. Look, look with me at the Psalms passage, Psalm 142, or 141, Psalm 141. I want everybody to see this, so let's all put our eyes on this one. Because in a way, hopefully you do burn incense at least uh, in a biblical way here. Psalm 141 and verse 2 says, uh, well, let's list 1. Verse 1, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. And then he says, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And I'll just stop there. So in the Bible, uh, and not just here, there's I gave you probably eight or ten references there 
of prayer being like incense and and you know uh, incense in order to have smoke there has to be heat right it has and that's what James says to the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much so there needs to be some fervor and you know we honestly we pray over every meal but it's not always a fervent I mean, I, I try to be thoughtful and remember what I need to be thankful for or pray for. But, uh, you know, for instance, to go up, and it goes up, our prayers are to go up to the Lord. And, uh, you know, in Romans, it says that we don't know how to pray as we ought, but, you know, the Spirit maketh utterances. So it's like God knows what we need or need or we, He knows what we want, and so even though it goes up as a cloud, it's kind of and and there's there's a smell to it too. Uh, incense has a smell, doesn't it? And He He says the Lord says that uh, it's a sweet savor to Him, uh, the sacrifices of His people or something like that, and and so we. So there's a smell, there's a heat, and so anyway, when you think of, and so that that was my teaching point there. I said, think of the tabernacle when you're praying, and so you know the the priest didn't just wake up one morning and walk into the tabernacle. They they had to get the garments, they had to be clean, they had to do the sacrifice, and it's so it's kind of methodical and and thoughtful, and so when when we get up, you know we're sitting in a chair and we're kicked back or we get something to drink you know it's pretty but uh, it's it's it wasn't that way with the tabernacle so it's kind of they prepared for it and so I, I'm preaching to me here too so so don't think I'm not but yeah uh, really like uh, since God can't be in the same place as sin or whatever um, it has to be the Holy Spirit that makes an utterance for us because mm-hmm. Uh, God, uh, Jesus is our uh, our propitiation. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, He's our sacrifice, and He's so we we go through Him, and uh, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and so He's our mediator. And yeah, just work. <laughs> um, and and then look at verse twenty one through twenty three of Jeremiah six. Uh, 21 says therefore thus saith the Lord behold I see we read that verse 22 thus saith the Lord behold a people cometh from the north country and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth and so thanks to uh, Jimbo here we've got a map so look, look at your map just for a minute if you have one and so uh, I could probably make that a little bigger but I think this what what I liked about this he sent me like six of them but I don't know if everybody can see uh, Iraq here yeah this is good it's got the border yeah so if you follow the little border it goes so you have the Tigris and Euphrates rivers there and it goes all the way Anyway, it comes down here. It goes down to the Persian Gulf, and um, so Jim's even. So there's the Ur of the Chaldees. There's a town there, and uh, Baghdad's up there on the Tigris. And then we said uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, uh, Carol helped with that. the Potania, uh, that's where we get the hippopotamus. It, and so this word Mesopotamia means uh, meso is kind of like the middle between two rivers. And so uh, that that's what's called the Fertile Crescent. And on your map, there's a whole green area. and It's a little bit of the shape of a crescent. But so instead of Babylon coming straight over here to Jerusalem, Instead of crossing this desert, so it doesn't, it doesn't show up. But this is Saudi Arabia down here. They they would take up through the where it's lush and green, and, 
and they would come down from the north. So, so when we read this in Jeremiah that this enemy from the north is coming and he describes it here. Uh, look at verse look at verse 23 we didn't read that one it says they shall lay hold on bow and spear they are cruel and have no mercy their voice roareth like the sea and they ride upon horses set in array as men for war against thee O daughter of Zion so there's daughter of Zion it's talking about Jerusalem again and man these guys are cruel they're on horses they got bows I mean uh Anyway, um, that, that's what he's talking about. I don't know if if you uh, have any other comments about the map, but ho- hopefully that's helpful. Uh, I mean, we hear about these countries in modern day, and there's about six countries that border Israel. I think. I think Saudi Arabia does a little bit down here, and of course Jordan, and this is Syria up here. They're always in contention about the Golan Heights and uh, Lebanon's there. And w- when we were there, uh, this was kind of eerie to me. One of the uh, there's two places in the Bible called Caesarea. One's Caesarea, and it's it's over it's over on the ocean, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And the other is Caesarea Philippi, and it's in the north. And um, we had to actually drive along the Lebanon border to get there. There's a fence there. And uh, and when we were in the Golan Heights, uh, that we were on our way there. Uh, we were at the Golan Heights, and in the distance you could hear some uh, explosions. And our, our tour guide said, some way, the way he heard them, he said, okay, they're just training. So some way from the noise, he could tell if it was, if it was an attack maybe oh just trading I mean it, it was miles away we could barely hear it uh, but nevertheless uh, we did hear and we actually saw you know a fence with the barbed wire on top between Israel and Lebanon uh, and then uh, they said from the distance in the Golan Heights you could see Syria and a row of trees or kind of uh, embankments that they had and it's kind of a plain there and anyway it's just a very memorable experience because we, we had Alan Shelby get up on some platform it was really windy and so he was up above us it was windy and he was telling the story of God's deliverance and from Syria at this very spot I don't know it was just real surreal to think about that but uh, anyway that's a little bit about your map and these cruel enemies okay so the last four verses 26 through 30 and then we will be done today He says in verse 26, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for thy only son and only son, most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. And uh, so that uh, the sackcloth and ashes, that was a, you know, a form of uh, mourning and uh, with God, it was as good as done, but uh, he's telling them they need to prepare that way. But then look at verse 27, and, and I want you to think about this as, as you. God says to Jeremiah, I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people that thou mayest know and try their way. That, that's a reference to Jeremiah. Strong tower. God says, you're, Jeremiah, you're going to be a tower and a fortress to know and try my people. And I don't know if we should look at ourselves necessarily that way, but uh, I, I know where I work, I want people to know, hey, there was a, I worked alongside a board. You know, I have a, a young man, I seen him there yesterday, and I told Jim, he, he, he's always asking me if he can help lift anything. He said, I don't, I don't want you to hurt your arm again. So he's being super nice to me. 
and I got the chance to witness to him a while back and he said yeah my grandpa was a preacher and and uh, but he told me he said you know Steve I'm living with my girlfriend and and uh, I really think every time he sees me I mean I think that's why he that's keeping him from coming to the Lord because he feels like he's going to have to give up something I really think that, and I saw him yesterday, and he's always nice and superficial. But he, and I've told him a time or two again. I said, you know, you know, we need to talk again about your salvation, don't we, Kyle? And and uh, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, but he kind of pushes me back, and and uh, I really think that that was what came to me yesterday. I felt like he thinks he may have to, you know, changes, and and and. And whether that's real or you know perceived, I think people consider that that uh, I don't want to change this thing in my life, so I'm going to procrastinate or something maybe. And uh, anyway, the thing I did there at the end in 28 and 30, there's a there's a word there, and I, I'm going to circle in my Bible verse 30. He calls his people reprobate silver. Shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them? And I think I gave you kind of a Webster's 1828 there at the bottom of your back page. Reprobate is not something that doesn't stand the test, it's not approved, and it's unfit. And so that's what he called his people there. They're going to be like reprobate silver. And uh, I gave you two blanks at the end. And I gave you the other two ways. So the word reprobate is in your Bible seven times. But in the New Testament, it's translated two other ways. And and the first is rejected. That's what goes in your blank there. Make sure we're living in a way that we won't be rejected. And your last blank is where Paul says that he keeps under his body lest by it says lest by any means after I've preached I become castaway. And so castaway is the other way. And so it doesn't mean that he's going to become lost. It just means that yeah, his if he doesn't live in a way that he's preaching others to live, he's that hypocrite. It it kind of nullifies his message, doesn't it? If 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 he's living as a reprobate, because reprobate, I, I don't know if you've ever talked to someone that has kind of a reprobate mind. I, I know with one guy that I used to work with, uh, you know, I, I did share my, and he kept telling me, Steve, I just can't understand the Bible, and I would quote a verse to him. He says, I don't even know what you just said, and I'm like, well, the natural man re- receiveth not the things of the Spirit, neither can he. He's like, yeah, like that. I don't even know what that means. And, well, then finally he comes to me with this theory that, you know, Jesus was just a man, and he started this religion for some kind of gain, and he, he kind of had his own spin. He didn't really die on the cross. And I, I realized at that point, this man has a reprobate mind, and I really I kind of avoided him, or at least avoided talking about the things of the Lord anymore. So even though even though nobody in here is reprobate or lost, we when we act like a reprobate, we can nullify our message is what I think I so cast away was your last blank. We we don't want to live in a way that we're rejected or cast away. And uh you know just seeing just seeing what happens to God's people in Jeremiah should put a little fear in us, shouldn't it? And so, uh, anyway, that, that's kind of what I wanted to close with. <clears throat> uh, you know, in your, in your network of people, you are a tower and a fortress. And uh, hopefully people know that they worked alongside or they knew a child of God. And, uh, you know, we, we want to pull people out of the fire and have compassion on them. And uh, even maybe bring about some fear. <clears throat> what was the incense point? 
The incense was like prayer. Yeah, prayer was like incense. Did everybody get their blank? Their blanks? I don't know. The the blanks always kind of help me to follow along with the speaker. So, uh, rejected or cast away. Here's a pencil. I always use pencils, so I that way I can erase. Well, who uh, who would like to pray? I know Jim's going to go teach the kids. Pat Lee, would you would you pray us out of here today, brother? And thank you for joining us on Facebook, and we're going to close here. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and learn from your words, Lord. Your your words that deliver us 